Well, good morning, church. It is a blessing to be here with you guys. Uh, Everything that, uh, with the exception of the whole wife thing, everything that does, well, and the skilled preacher thing and all that, everything else is true. Uh, The church in Tucson loves the church in Orange. We have a common bind through Kyle Holton, uh, who many of you know. Uh, It was hard for us to let him go, but how do you get in the way of the will of the Lord, right? Um, Mike Davis and his wife Lois Dawn, I can remember 30 years ago, we were talking about this last night, we did children's ministry together at a celebration. Some of you might not know what that is, uh, but a f- regional church is coming together. Uh, we served with them. Dustin has been over to preach at our church, stayed in our home. His wife did our family photos. He's, he's had an influence on our worship team. And then what can I say about Eric? He's my favorite regional leader. Uh, I mean, you guys are just blessed. You're blessed to have this team. You're blessed to have Eric uh, and We are grateful for what the Lord is doing here and grateful that you all would release him to serve the other churches in the region because that takes time. And I just want you to know he is doing such an outstanding job. But more than all that, uh, it is just good to be friends with Dustin and Eric and Mike and even some of you that Don and I have gotten to know through like your celebration uh, gathering. It's good to be brothers and sisters in Christ. It's good to be on gospel partnership together in a unique way through a family of churches. But it is really good to be friends and to know that there are friends uh, who, when we gather over there on Sunday morning to celebrate Christ, you guys are doing the same thing over here. Uh, So Tucson sends their greetings. My wife Donna sends her greetings. Yes, I love three things. Not as much as Jesus, but if I'm honest, sometimes it might seem close. (laughs) My wife, my grandkids, and my motorcycles. (laughs) Oh yeah, and my Denver Broncos. So uh, I'll try and keep them out of today's sermon if possible. My church would say, that's not possible, Uh, but I will do my best. I know it's a difficult time right now for your church. Your senior pastor's not here, uh, and it's difficult for him right now. There's a memorial service immediately following this. Um, So let's open up God's Word. Let's pray, and let's encounter the risen Christ. Amen? That is the best salve for our soul. We're going to be looking at Mark 6, specifically verses 45 through 52. I'm reading from the ESV. Please read with me. Mark writes, Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he, missed, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. 
He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Please pray with me. Lord, be merciful to us. Father, as we, as we look into your word, our desire is that we would see your son, Jesus and that our hearts would be refreshed, our confidence would be buoyed, our faith would be strengthened because we've seen Jesus. Lord, would you do this? Be merciful to us and do this for our good and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, a number of years ago, I had, I met up with a a gentleman, I was part of the Gilbert Church actually at that time, and uh, we were in Phoenix, and I met up with a gentleman who had just been saved. He was excited, (laughs) and so I just, I just wanted to find out, hey, tell me what's going on in your heart, tell me what you're thinking. I wanted to hear about his newfound joy. And so we're sitting in Jamba Juice. I remember it vividly. I think I had the, the uh, coconut and pineapple uh, uh, drink there. But that's beside the point. <laughs> but he said something that caught my attention. In all of his excitement, he said, man, I am so glad that life is going to get easier. <laughs> this is exactly what I did. <laughs> yeah. I said, really? T- tell me about that. And it was clear that he, he had this idea, he had this notion that as a Christian, the troubles, it was all downhill from here. Troubles were gone. Troubled waters were behind him. And I listened to him and I thought, oh boy. I don't want to crush this guy's spirit, but he needs some truth right now. And I proceeded to explain to him that Christians are not immune to trouble. You know that. We all know that, but, but we need to be reminded of that, don't we? Christians are not immune to trouble, even, even the worst of it. Even the worst of it. You know, when we think about it biblically, Jesus promised trouble. John 16, 33. He just promised it. He said, you will have trials in this life. Redemptive history proves it out. You guys have been, I heard, studying through the book of Acts. We'll talk about trouble. The book of Acts is filled with trouble for Christians. The pastoral prayer this morning was a declaration to the Lord, help us in our troubles. A senior pastor whose dad is about to pass on 
a church member's mother in a memorial service after this service. Your lives testify to it. I don't know the troubles you're facing today, but you do. And they're there and they're real. In fact, the book of Galatians that I know you've spent some time in, it says carry one another's burdens. So inherent to that is what? We have burdens. We have troubles. This is why the words of Peter in, in 1 Peter 4.12, we should not be surprised, therefore, brothers and sisters, of the fiery trials that come upon you. Don't be surprised when trouble comes into your life. Why? Because as Christians, we are not immune to trouble. But do you know what else is true? Whatever your trouble today, you're not alone. You're not alone. And th this is really the big truth of today's passage. When trouble comes near, Jesus comes near. When trouble comes near, Jesus comes near. When trouble comes, and it will, if your life is pretty trouble-free right now, well, just wait. Tomorrow will be here soon enough. Your hope, your joy, your confidence, they're not rooted in your personality or your aptitude or your mental toughness or your prospects or your street, mar street smarts. Your, when trouble comes, your hope is that Jesus comes near. That, that's what we see in today's text. In fact, Mark sets the scene for us in verses 45 through 47. I'm not going to read it, but I'm going to just describe it for you. The, the disciples have just spent the evening feeding thousands of hungry people. We all know that story, right? With five fish and two loaves of bread, and there's leftovers. Amazing. What a day. But now as we come into uh, this new scene of verse 45, the crowds are gone. Mark tells us that Jesus heads off to pray, something that he loved to do, communion with his Father. And in verse 45, it says that Jesus, I love Mark, notice verse 45, he made the disciples get in the boat. <laughs> he made the disciples get into the boat and said, now I want you to meet me across the way. And just make a connection there for a moment. We're about to see the disciples get into some serious trouble. But guess what they're doing? Why are they on the water? They're just obeying Jesus. They're following Jesus. If you follow Jesus, trouble will come. Following Jesus does not mean a trouble-free life. The disciples are following Jesus, and they fall into trouble. So the scene here is is set for us. It's evening. The crowds are at home. The disciples are on the lake. Jesus is on land praying alone. And then notice verse 48. And he, that is Jesus, saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. Mark tells us the disciples were making headway painfully. Translation, they were rowing like madmen and not really getting anywhere. The King James Version reads, they were toiling in rowing. The NSAB translates it, they were straining at the oars, 
but the headwinds were so strong against them, they were barely making any ground. Have you ever, have you ever been on a lake or out in the water and you're rowing and you're up against a strong headwind? It's exhausting and you feel like, what am I doing? I'm not, gonna, I'm not getting anywhere. This was them. This, this scene in Mark 6, this is not a sunset gondola ride through the canals of Venice, sipping wine and being serenaded. That's not what's going on here. The disciples are in trouble. And in fact, did you notice Mark's timeline in verse 47? He says, the disciples set sail in the evening. So probably seven o'clock-ish. And then in verse 48, it says Jesus didn't come to them until the fourth watch of the night, probably 3 to 6 a.m. in the morning. In other words, do the math. The disciples are fighting these headwinds for 8 to 11 hours. They are wet. They are exhausted. Their arms are noodles. And no doubt they are frustrated beyond frustrated because as hard as they are rowing, they are getting nowhere. Such is life, right? Life is like rowing against a strong headwind. You get up every morning and you begin to row. Your career, you're rowing your heart out, but you're getting nowhere, it seems. Your career, but by faith, you took that new job or you decided on that, on that degree, and it's not working out. The headwinds are against you. Parents, you're, you're trying to lead your family in the Lord, but your kids still love the world more than they love Jesus. Headwinds in the home. Your sanctification. I gave into that temptation again. I'm dealing with this sin again. When? 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 Your witness. Whether you're standing on truth around the, around the water cooler at work or you're reaching out to your neighbor with Jesus. The headwinds of rejection and ridicule just keep coming at you. Nobody's gotten saved from my evangelism. Or it's a crisis. It's a death in the family. It's a devastating doctor's report out of the blue. Or it's a pink slip at the office. The headwinds of life resist every stroke of the spiritual paddle. And in those moments, in those moments, let's be honest, Jesus can seem unaware, indifferent, and disconnected. Lord, do you see me? Do you see what's going on? Do you see these headwinds? Mark 6 gives us a different story. First, the first thing I want us to see here is that Jesus is not unaware 
as you paddle against the headwinds. He knows. Jesus saw these disciples as they struggled to make process progress. Look at verse 48 again. And he saw, I love those words, they're intimate. Don't just read over those. They're an important part of this story. And Jesus saw. He saw. What did he see? He saw that they were making headway painfully for the winds, for the wind was against them. The disciples are alone on the rough sea. They're just following Jesus. He said, I'll see you on the other side. But they're not off the radar. Jesus didn't send them into the storm and then forget about him. Mark says Jesus saw them. Listen, Mark is not big on details. If you read the gospel of Mark, he, is, he uses the word immediately over and over again. He wants to get on to the next thing, next thing. So when you do see Mark, slow down and get detail-oriented. It's your cue to pay attention. This is a detail, and Jesus saw them. He saw them. He watched them. He had his eye on them. He knew what they were up against. He saw them toiling at the oars. And no doubt, Jesus was praying for them as he watched them. The point is, they were never beyond the watchful eye of Jesus. He saw. He sees. What's the trouble for you today? What burden did you come in here carrying? What seems like a headwind that you will never gain ground against? He sees. J.C. Ryle says, the same eye which saw the disciples tossed on the lake is ever looking at us. We are never beyond the reach of his care. Listen, whatever headwinds you are rowing into, Jesus sees you in your trouble. He, he is not unaware. He is not uninformed, uninformed. And two, this is our second point this morning, he is not indifferent to your trouble. He, he, in fact, comforts us in our trouble. Notice verse 48 again. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, why the fourth watch on the night? Mark doesn't tell us, but it reminds us God's timing is God's timing. He doesn't always come to us in our timing. But Jesus was aware. And the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Here we see that Jesus didn't just see the disciples in their trouble. He comforted them with his words. And more comforting and powerful words, I submit to you, there could not be. Did you notice that phrase in verse 50? He walks on water. We'll get to that in a moment. But he says, it is I. 
Now, in the Greek, it is I is the same language as God's great disclosure to Moses in the burning bush. Who shall I say? I am. Tell them that the I am sent you. In other words, Jesus is taking on that, that great name of God, that great title in Exodus 3.14 that communicates a sovereignty and a providence and, 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 and the, the infinite nature that belongs to Him. In their trouble, in their weakness, in their fear, Jesus says, don't worry, God is with you. God is with you. Not conventional wisdom, not the benefit of past experiences, not a solution at hand. God is with you. This entire scene on the water is a divine disclosure of the true identity of Jesus. First of all, he's walking on water. I don't know what that must have been like to see, but here comes Jesus in the midst of the headwinds, not on a jet ski. Not, not in diving gear. He is walking on the water. Do you know who walks on water? God. Job 9.8, God alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea. To walk on water is God's prerogative. And yet, here comes Jesus. He's walking on water. Now, uh, you'll, you'll notice that uh, in uh, uh, verse, let me see where it is here. You'll notice in verse 48, notice what it says. It says that, and as he walked, as, as he's coming toward them walking on the water, it says that, that he meant to pass by them. Oh, well, what is that? I mean, Jesus, don't you care? Hey, guys, you got this. I'm heading back over here. No, does that phrase ring a bell? He passed by them. It should. If those words are familiar to you, that's probably because you've read them in Exodus 33, where God hides Moses in the cleft of a rock and passes in his glory by him only allowing him to see his back, he passed by Moses. So we have this uh, amazing picture that is meant to reveal the true identity of Jesus. Jesus is just not a helper. He is God in flesh. He appeared... These disciples are in trouble, and now amid their trouble, the glory of God has come to them in the face of Christ, in the person of Christ. Jesus, the radiance of his Father's glory, the exact imprint of his nature, the writer of Hebrews says in verse, chapter 1, verse 3. 
And Jesus takes the sacred name of God for himself, and he does only what God alone can do. He walks on. This is a statement about who is with you. When troubles come near, as a Christian, you have God with you. Don't worry. It's as if Jesus says, don't worry. It is I. Don't worry. God is with you. The God of the storm. The God of the headwind. The God who created the headwind. The God who has put you on this lake. Interesting. Jesus, in a sense, put them on the lake. He put them smack dab in the middle of trouble so that they could see his glory in a way that otherwise they would not have seen in that moment. I remember a number of years ago before I got in the ministry, I was living in Phoenix, and I was in the mortgage industry, and there was a big citywide basketball tournament for everybody. If you were a real estate agent or mortgages or title company, uh, if you had that connection there was this three-on-three tournament. It was great. We were playing at America West Arena, right? Home of the Phoenix Suns. And I put together a team, three guys. They had to be from your company. So, so I get three guys from my company. And one of the guys that I got to hire was a gentleman by the name of Anthony Cook. Now, if that name isn't ring very familiar, I understand. He played for the Arizona Wildcats. And uh, he was an amazing player. He was the first-round pick in the NBA draft, spent about 10 years in the NBA. I remember standing on the sidelines, pretty daunting. I mean, you're in America West Arena, thinking, man, this used to be Charles Barkley's house, you know. That was way back. But I remember just seeing these guys shoot around. I thought, man, I I might be in over my head. (laughs) There were some good players out there. But there was a moment where I thought, Oh, wait, I have Anthony Cook. (laughs) And I stepped out on that court, all five, seven of me. (laughs) I stepped out on that court and I thought, we got this. Anthony Cook is with me. It's like 6'11". First round NBA. Well, we lost the first game because he set a pick and roll with me, and he popped his Achilles. So <laughs> my claim to fame is that I ended his basketball career. <laughs> Listen, whatever your trouble, God in Christ is with you. That should do something to your soul. He's not indifferent as you row through life. He is with you in the power of the Spirit to comfort you with His Word, just as He did with these disciples. Listen, don't, don't, don't make the mistake of discounting specific ways Jesus speaks to you, like right now. You got trouble? Of course you do. There's no better place to be than right here, the gathering. You know, that's the thing about trouble. 
we, we tend to want to isolate ourselves, think to ourselves, nobody understands, nobody can really help me. We want to withdraw. Oh no, this is the place to be if you're fighting headwinds. You have sung with the saints of the power and sufficiency and glory of Jesus. You see people, the power of the Spirit at work in them simply in the mere fact that they too have trouble, but yet they can look beyond it and serve others. That's only, that's only a perspective. That be, that's only something that you can have in Christ. So you got troubles? Come to church. <laughs> Don't overlook. Don't make the mistake of overlooking the power of God when it's just you in your dark family room reading Psalm 23, and the Spirit of God is there speaking to you, reminding you, I am with you. Don't make the mistake of overlooking the words of a spouse or a friend. My my wife Donna, you would love her, by the way, but she has a very sweet disposition. She's very quiet but when she speaks, especially to me, it's powerful. And one of the things I love about her so much is she's quiet, and I'm like, yeah, you know. <laughs> she's the opposite of me. But I can't tell you how many times in the midst of trouble she's leaned over and said, honey, you realize God is in control, and he's with you. And the power of those words that represent an unchanging reality and truth give life to it. Don't, don't mistake, don't make the mistake of overlooking the way God reminds you He is with you. Listen, Jesus is not indifferent, indifferent in your troubles. He comforts you with His words. The question is, are you listening? Are you listening? Are you listening today? Are you listening right now? I, I didn't know. We didn't know. I, I had no idea that Eric would be in Florida and that there was a memorial service after this service when I sent to Eric and said, hey, I've got a sermon of Mark 6. Great, preach it. Isn't God good? Isn't He merciful? He wanted you to be reminded, he's in the boat with you. (laughs) He's not indifferent to whatever you're going through. In fact, that's our third point. Jesus is not disconnected in your troubles. He he joins you. Look at verse 51. And he got into the boat with them. I love that. And he got into the boat with them. And the wind ceased. So, so far, Marcus said he saw them. He spoke to them. And now he's climbing into the boat with them. How intimate have we gotten here? This is an intimate scene. He gets into the boat with them. He, he joined them in their trouble. He, he's not communicating to them from the safety of the lighthouse on shore. He was right there with them. And he... 
the picture here is amazing. If we just pause and we don't have to give it a lot of thought, with Jesus in the boat, guess what? Jesus is now closer to them than their trouble is. The trouble is outside the boat. Jesus climbs into the boat. Jesus, in a sense, positions himself between them and their trouble. This is an intimate, intimate seeing it. It's easy to get wrapped up in the supernatural and walking on water, and, and ultimately that is meant to show us, to reveal to us who Christ is. But the transcendent one, the one who walks on water at the same time is near. He is intimate. He does not rule from afar. <laughs> he comes and gets in the boat with the disciples, and now he is closer to them than their trouble. Jesus saw them in their trouble. He came and comforted them with his words in their trouble. And now he has joined them in their trouble. But here's the thing. The disciples actually missed it. They, they, they did not believe that the glory of God came to them in the face of Christ, not in a veiled way, as Moses had experienced, but, but there he was walking on water, taking the name of God for himself, getting in the boat with them, and all they saw was, according to verse 49 and 50, a terrifying ghostly figure. I think they missed Jesus. I think they missed the moment. I think that's the point of verse 52. When Mark goes on to say they did not understand the lows and their hearts were hardened. A hard heart is a heart that, that refuses to believe. That, that they missed the glory of God in Christ. They missed the one who had just, they just watched feed the 5,000. You know, interesting. That's what happens, isn't it? Our trouble gets so big, it's like this. It's hard, it's hard to see. But that, that's what happens. And we always have to ask this. Whatever trouble you are experiencing today, do you see Jesus in it? Do you see this Jesus? The one who's in the boat with you. The one who sees you toiling at the, at the oar. Well, this passage is meant to reset your sights on Jesus by assuring you he is in the boat with you. But do you see him? Or are you distracted by your troubles? I, when I drive, I love to look around, see what's out there. I'm easily distracted behind the wheel and my wife, Donna, graciously <laughs> tries to help me. She's got this new thing. It's a little bit annoying, but I need it. So, uh, and when I look back, she'll go, that was six seconds. <laughs> what do you mean? Uh, you were looking to the side for six seconds. 
Derek, do you know what can happen in six seconds? I need that. You know, in Psalm 16, 8, David says, in the midst of my trouble, I have set the Lord always before me. Interesting choice of words, before me, not to the left, not to the right, and certainly not behind me. But in the midst of my troubles, troubles that tend to be right here, five inches from my face, I have set the Lord before me. In other words, I labor to, in the power of the Spirit, to fix my eyes on the Lord in the midst of my trouble. Isn't that the fight for faith and joy when trouble comes, right? In the headwinds, it's easy to lose sight of Jesus because we push him to the side. We don't see him climbing into the boat with us. Uh, C.S. Lewis says, he walks everywhere, speaking of Jesus, he walks everywhere incognito. And the incognito is not always hard to penetrate. The real labor is to remember, to attend, in fact, to come awake, still more to remain awake. To remain awake to what? To remain awake of the one who's in the boat with you. (laughs) To remain awake to, to the one who says, I've got this. My grace is sufficient. You can trust me. Have you lost sight of Jesus this morning? Do you need to be awakened to his presence? How do you need to see Jesus today? What do you need to believe about Jesus right now? What do you, what do you need to confess? What have you allowed to distract you from Jesus? What is it that would lead you to say, Lord, why have you forsaken me? Do you care about me? However you would answer those questions, begin here. Christ does not leave you to face the headwinds of life alone in your strength. He is the I am. And he has joined himself to you by his spirit, the all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present, eternal God is in the boat with you. That's the hope. That's the hope. We have to trust the duration and the purpose of the headwinds to God. And they are his headwinds. We might not understand why these headwinds at this time, but they are his headwinds. He ordained them for you before the foundations of the world. And as John Piper so eloquently said, God is always doing 10,000 things at once, and we think we know three of them, but we're probably wrong. Anthony Cook stepped out onto the court and we lost in the first round because he popped his Achilles. God doesn't pop his Achilles. Anthony Cook failed me. (laughs) Anthony, if you're watching this, I love you, bro. 
You failed me. We should have been the king of Phoenix. God does not fail. God does not fail. In fact, I want to leave you with this reality. You see, you're all facing troubles. We all are facing storms. We all are facing some kind of headwinds in our life. But ultimately, there's only one storm that can truly sink you. And you know what it is? It's God's eternal judgment for your sin. But in the divine headwinds, or excuse me, but the divine headwinds that keep you out of heaven's gate are no more. Notice the word there in 51, and he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. Amazing. This is God. He even controls the weather. God's prerogative, by the way. But guess what? Guess what? We see Christ and the cross here. Jesus got in the boat. He came into, he entered our fallen world. He lived in our world. He walked among sinners. He lived a perfect life, and he went to the cross, and at the cross, he, he stared divine, the divine headwinds of God's wrath in the eyes. 2,000 years ago, Jesus hung there and, in a sense, was swept away by the headwinds for you in our place. At the cross, he faced a hurricane of eternal justice for your sake. And when that, those furious divine headwinds ceased, he said, this. It is finished. The eternal storm that will consume every person who is not hidden in Christ on the day of judgment, they will be swept away into a torrent of hell. For all those who by grace know Christ, the storm is over. That storm, the only storm that can truly sink you, is over. Every one of your sins placed on his innocent shoulders and paid for in full. Here's the good news this morning. Jesus did not abandon you in the ultimate storm on the cross. Why would he abandon you in the comparatively smaller storms today? That's Romans 8.32. If God did not give up his own son, how will he not give you all that you need today? How will he not be with you in the storm? The storms, by the way, that according to 2 Corinthians 4, are simply preparing you for a weight of eternal glory. So in the storms of life, when Satan tempts you to believe these five words, God doesn't care about me, tell him this, oh yes, he does. In God's mercy and with great joy, 
Jesus endured the one storm I could never survive, the storm of divine justice. And by faith, I belong to God, and therefore I am hidden, I am safe, and I am secure from that ultimate storm. And that reality should inform every headwind that we encounter in this life. So, keep rowing. (laughs) Don't lose heart. Don't veer off the gospel chorus. We're not going to Bethsaida. We're going to heaven. Guess what? By the way, the disciples made it to shore. And you will make it to the golden shores of heaven. Because Christ will see you there. So no matter how hard the headwinds blow, keep rowing, knowing this. When trouble comes near. Jesus comes nearer. Let's pray. There are too many words from an imperfect preacher, but this is your word. And so we ask that you would do the work that only your spirit can do. Lord, would you encourage us in our faith? Lord, would you convict us of sin where that is necessary? And Lord, would you strengthen our holy resolve to see you? Lord, we need your Spirit to open our eyes to see you in the headwinds. But we have no reason to believe you won't do that. So we come to you, and I ask that you would, that you would have your way in us. Lord, if there, is, there are those who are here, and they are extra weary this morning. Remind them of who you are, what you've done for them, and what lies ahead for them. Oh, Lord, thank you for gathering us. Thank you for speaking to us through your word. Now do your work and have your way. In Jesus' name, amen.